time to play ball. Welcome to the podcast with no limits. Whether it be sports, current events, or random thoughts, this is the place to step in and stay a while. Your host is a proud alumnus of Rio Hondo Prep, a former minor league baseball umpire, and a man with strong opinions. Welcome to the Get Home Safe podcast and your host, Matt Persima. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Get Home Safe. It is Thursday, September 24th, 2020. Thank you so much for joining us whenever you're listening to this episode. Well, guys, I hope you had a chance to listen to Bill Barnes yesterday. He's quite the wild man, and he uh, he brought it. <laughs> he brought his opinions, uh, that's for sure. Uh, you know, Bill is always a treat to talk with every Wednesday. But man, he is definitely not for the faint of heart or for people that, uh, I don't know, are uh, easily offended, we'll say. Uh, But it's always a blast catching up with him. So I was happy to record with him uh, yesterday or Tuesday, I should say, and get it out on Wednesday on time this week, uh, unlike our uh, complications last week. So always happy to have Bill Barnes. And it's been a great week so far. Ginger Deemers on Tuesday. That was a lot of fun. A lot of great feedback on that episode. And, and, uh, you know, of course, uh, also having Danny Cortez on Monday, the uh, football official guy I've worked with a lot. Uh, he was a lot of fun to talk to. So some great guests already this week. If you haven't had a chance, go back and uh, give them a listen, as well as any other episode here on the Get Home Safe podcast. Uh, today on the program, we're going to be joined by Greg Loomis. Uh, I know Mr. Loomis as a, a former teacher, a former coach of mine, somebody that really made a tremendous impact on a lot of young men over the years at Rio Hondo Prep. He's still um, he's still involved in the program. Uh, he he kind of helps out uh, with uniforms and such for Rio Hondo Prep and Care Youth League, as well as he's kind of oversees some of the uh, leagues, some of the the divisions in the Care Youth League program. But he coached me at Real Hondo Prep. Uh, he was a baseball coach for a long time, as well as a defensive coordinator in football, taking over for the legendary Gary Lunny. We're going to talk about all of those things. I'm going to share a few uh, memories. Definitely, I had of Mr. Loomis here shortly. Uh, but first, kind of off the bat, with Mr. Loomis kind of being a baseball guy, baseball coach, and just someone who's uh, who loves the game of baseball, I, I did want to touch on a few things regarding Major League Baseball. Uh, you know, first of all, we'll get to the standings and the playoff scenarios and everything here soon. But, man, I continue to see things from broadcasters or uh, so-called experts. Anytime there's an ejection or a ruling, I mean, broadcasters, they just drive me crazy. I was listening to um, – I, I get these clips, right, from this website, Close, Close Call Sports. And it's basically all about umpire ejections in the big leagues. Weird plays, stuff like that. Well, John Crook was a broadcaster for the Phillies, and he played for them for a while. And uh, he didn't like a play that happened the other night. Uh, backswing interference. I know not everyone knows that, but like someone who played as long as he is, and then like isn't aware of a rule like that. It's a pretty simple rule. Whether you like a rule or not is is kind of irrelevant. Like it's funny to me when someone doesn't like a rule how how they like they bash the umpires for enforcing it. I'm like, first of all, you sound like you don't know the rule. Backswing interference, hey, it's kind of a tough tough situation for the hitter. If a, if a hitter swings at a ball and his um, 
his natural swing, kind of the backswing of it, interferes. Doesn't have to make contact, but he interferes kind of with the catcher's throw, trying to retire a runner. Well, no runner can advance. Nobody's out, but it's just one of those things. Sometimes you get a little tangle, right? And it's not the same as batter interference where you, you know, get in the way of the throw or something. But John Crook kept, kept saying on there, oh, that's that's his natural swing. What's he supposed to do? Well, it's in the rule book for a reason, John. I mean, it's just a tough break. Sometimes stuff like that happens. So it's it's so that, uh, I don't know, guys don't take advantage of it. it it's, a, it's a weird rule, but it's in there for a reason. Someone thought to write it in there. Don't bash umpires for, for enforcing it. It's like uh, some of the laws out there and then police get uh, accused of, uh, of what, you know, how could you enforce that? Well, I kind of have to. It's my job. <laughs> anyway, I continue to hear broadcasters just kind of butcher things on the air. And, and I'm, I'm no professional podcaster or broadcaster or whatever, uh, but, I, but I do try to take knowledge, uh, take pride in knowing rules. And I kind of had to over, over the years um, in my line of work and everything. But anyway, umpires get a bad rap and hey, it is what it is. I think one, a couple things people always want from officials is be consistent, uh, hustle and know the rules. I mean, yeah, everyone wants to get plays right. That's really important, judgment and everything. But I think overall, if you kind of go with those three things, I think uh, that's a good foundation. But uh, you really can't enforce rules without knowing them. And I personally believe you can't really talk about rules unless you know them. Mr. Cruck, you're a great baseball player, a great hitter. But, uh, yeah, just just calling, got to call you out for, for some of your comments uh, the other night. Um, baseball in general, guys, it's coming down to the wire. I don't know if you guys know this. I haven't paid a ton of attention to baseball just because there's so many other options. And I, I will here in the playoffs, I will tune in. I can't believe this 60 game season is over already. I mean, it's, it wraps up on Sunday and then we're going to have playoff baseball on uh, Tuesday and Wednesday. Most of the series will be starting up. It's going to be a very different playoffs this year. Uh, eight teams in each league. And of course, it's just going to be four um, four series in each league to start, three-game series at the Better Seeds um, home field. And then going forward from there, they're going to be in a playoff bubble. The American League games will be in San Diego and Los Angeles, and the National League games will be in Arlington and Houston. So it's going to be very unique. I'm I'm kind of intrigued at the format. Eight teams getting in. Eight's going to play one. Seven's going to play two, and so on. And in a three-game series, three games in three days, your standard three-game series that you see in the regular season, I mean, bad teams can can beat good teams. All you got to do is beat them twice, not three or four times. I mean, that doesn't sound very like a big difference or anything. But, man, I, who knows? Who knows what we could see? Uh, as of now, and I'm recording this Wednesday, I, there, there'll be games tonight, but, you know, going into Thursday, uh, a lot of teams are going to have, you know, four games, three games left. The season wraps up for everyone, everybody on Sunday. And, uh, I just wanted to kind of touch on the current standings, the current playoff situation in the American league. The top eight seeds are, uh, Tampa Bay, Chicago White Sox, the Oakland A's and the Minnesota twins. Then five through eight, you have the New York Yankees, the Houston Astros, the Cleveland Indians, and the Toronto Blue Jays. So to my understanding, the every every division winner uh, obviously gets in, and they are the top three seeds. Then 
Um, it's the next best. You, what is that going to be? Three. So you're going to have four. My math's bad, guys. I'm really sorry. Five. Five wild cards, basically, in uh, in each league. And you, I think it's the second place team in every division is an automatic seed as well. So the way it sits right now, it looks like uh, the Twins are the, are the top wild card team. They're the top second place team, but they're actually only half a game back of uh, the division leaders, Chicago White Sox. The Yankees are, uh, you know, only four back of uh, Tampa Bay with four to play. So um, the as bad as the Anaheim Angels have been and the Seattle Mariners and the Baltimore, I mean, these teams have a chance. Real, well, not they see Baltimore's out, but the Anaheim Angels still have a chance to get in. And Seattle, they got a chance. It's I always love the last week of baseball because you see all these different races. And it's fun when it goes down to like the last weekend and you're kind of watching multiple games. Playoff baseball is a lot of fun, but but kind of the last week of baseball is uh, is even more fun with all these teams trying to get in. On the National League side of things, the Los Angeles Dodgers are the number one seed, and it uh, looks like they've clinched that. Uh, the uh, Well, I shouldn't say that. San Diego Padres are, are the uh, fourth seed, so they are only three back, it looks like, four back. And so who knows? Again, I'll just kind of run down the list here. The current standings, LA Dodgers, Atlanta Braves, Chicago uh, Cubs are your division leaders. Then, like I said, you have the Padres, the St. Louis Cardinals, the Miami Marlins, Cincinnati Reds, and Milwaukee Brewers. So uh, that's kind of where things are sitting right now. It's going to be an interesting last couple of days. I'm not sure if certain teams have a bunch of games to make up. Uh, but everyone, man, except, let's see, Arizona and Pittsburgh, they're really the only teams in the National League that have been eliminated. So really think about that. You know, 15 teams in each league, and I know you're going to have eight, eight teams make the playoffs, but in the National League, man, you still got uh, 13, 13 teams going for eight spots, and in the American League, it's not too much different, although I think it's four teams have been eliminated. Yeah, four teams. So, uh American League, 12 teams are going for eight spots. And then the National League, you got 13 teams going for uh, for eight spots. Or excuse me, I said American League, 11 teams going for eight spots. Excuse me. Uh, but so it's been a crazy, crazy couple of days here. And as I mentioned, the postseason bracket, if you will, uh, the first, the first uh, games, who knows, man? Who knows? That should be Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, or Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I'm assuming. And then... They'll probably take a the week off or so, or a few days to kind of get into the playoff bubbles. A lot of exciting things coming up with with baseball, and I know a lot of people who listen to this show are Los Angeles Dodger fans. I think uh, you know they're itching to get back to the World Series and win at this time. They're probably the favorite, if if we're honest. The, the LA Dodgers are probably the favorite. Uh, they got the best record, and you know we'll see what happens. That doesn't always mean uh, you know. <laughs> The, the top team wins or even gets to the World Series. But with this added round of playoffs, I am just intrigued how it's going to go uh, going from a, a three-game series to a five-game series to a seven-game series uh, to just to get to the World Series. So tune in, guys. It's going to be an exciting ride here uh, as we kind of head down the stretch for the uh, the Major League Baseball season. Uh, the 60-game season that is over already. Even, in you know, NFL's back. NBA playoffs are going. Hockey, the Stanley Cup. We got all kinds of stuff going. And now we're going to have playoff baseball next week. So exciting. Well, guys, I talked about Mr. Greg Loomis a little bit. And a few things I want to say about him is uh, he really, I think for a lot of guys, he kind of 
really pushed us to like baseball when we were in high school, to like it and enjoy it and kind of look forward to playing it. Um, Todd Carson, I owe him a lot too, as a lot of my peers do, in, in really taking an interest at a young age in baseball. But when Greg Loomis took over the varsity at Rio Hondo Prep, the baseball program really kind of took off. Rio's always competed, had some good baseball teams, but uh, when Greg Loomis kind of took over alongside uh, Chris Horton for a while, the the program really, really went well. I mean, they, they went to the finals in 99. Um, they were always in the mix, semifinals, quarterfinals. And, and as I was kind of coming up through high school, it was we wanted to win every sport, but baseball specifically, we were really looking forward to. And we fell short like most of the other teams did. But it was so much fun and, and just Mr. Loomis's passion for baseball to see to see uh, him bring almost a football coach's attitude to the baseball diamond. I think most guys listening to this program understand what I mean by that. I mean, uh, he, he would throw a batting practice just over and over and over again, throw, throw some uh, some devastating uh, break ball stuff at us. He would he push us. He was probably the best fungo hitter I've ever been around. And I've been around, you know, minor league baseball, college baseball coaches. But Mr. Loomis would bring that wooden fungo out. He would put that ball wherever he wanted. Let me tell you, I remember one time I was the catcher. So I, I got to just kind of catch the balls and hand them to him. And so I, I got a front row seat. I think one time he got mad at our center fielder, Jordan Ross, for kind of like loafing on a play or something. And so... I could see him kind of flip a switch and he goes, give me a ball. So I gave him a ball. He hit the ball, the left center. He goes, Jordan, this is yours. He hit the left center. Jordan ran, ran, you know, 40 yards to catch it. Mr. Loomis asked for another ball. I give him another ball. He goes, Jordan, this one's your two. And he just went rapid fire on Jordan Ross. He went left center, right center, left center, right center. He ran Jordan into the ground and I think after, oh, pouting. That's what he said. He dropped his bat after like, Eight balls he hit because Jordan dropped one and he started. He kind of had a bad attitude. And uh, Mr. Loomis, top of his lungs, no pouting, no pouting. He was just so intense all the time. And uh, you know, I'm a not a very tall guy, and Mr. Loomis isn't either. But his voice could carry, man. Let me tell you, whether it be a defensive coordinator coaching football or uh, coaching baseball. Whether it be yelling at his players, yelling at umpires, <laughs> he's a very he was a very loud individual. So we chatted for a long time in our interview. It is a rather long interview, uh, but I wouldn't have it any other way. I really enjoyed uh, talking to Mr. Loomis, and and all my interactions with him over the years were just wonderful. He was a defensive coordinator when I when I got to varsity. He would be sending in the signals to me. Uh, that was always fun, kind of. Uh, the hand signals uh, to call the plays and, you know, me kind of interpreting them. And we'd have conversations off the field about, you know, signals and everything. And then baseball, of course, uh, being a catcher, uh, he he held me to a high standard in, in calling games with the pitchers and everything. And uh, I think a lot of players listening to this podcast today will will reflect on Mr. Loomis and and his uh, some of his memories, some of their memories with Mr. Loomis, I should say. Uh, he was a guy that he was a great teacher in the classroom. I was never in that much into literature, but Mr. Loomis really, uh, you know, pushed us to read more. What a concept and, and just kind of pay attention in class. He was actually the very first teacher I had at Rio Hondo prep when I went there in seventh grade. So it, it was all new for me going to school there. And I can honestly say that Mr. Loomis was a big part of me kind of adapting to a, a new, new atmosphere and, uh, 
just kind of embracing real hondo prep uh, right off the bat because he had a big part of that. And when he was in high school, teaching high school, coaching high school, uh, his club meetings to us, his devotional uh, messages have always been so clear, so concise, uh, just really have spoke to me and I, and I think a lot of other guys too. So uh, again, fun catching up with Greg Loomis. Uh, I hope you guys enjoy this. For those of you that played for Mr. Loomis or who uh, were in his class, uh, you understand uh, kind of all the different subjects we're going to talk about today and why it kind of took so long. We even at the very end get into a little bit of his uh, directing of plays and uh, musical stuff regarding trips and kind of the drama department. Uh, he, he was kind of in charge of a lot of that for a long time, and he still contributes to kind of the, those departments at Rio Hondo Prep. But uh, man, he always took his his coaching hat to the director's chair uh, and was an intense guy no matter what, expected much of us, uh, all of us, but held us all accountable. And I think we're all better men uh, because of it. So let's not uh, ramble away any longer. Let's get to the interview with Greg Loomis. It's a long one. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Okay, joining us today is Greg Loomis. Greg Loomis was my very first teacher at Real Hondo Prep back when I was in seventh grade. I uh, had no idea what I was getting into the day I stepped on campus or, or what was in store for me. Uh, Greg Loomis himself is a member of the class of 1977 from Rio Hondo Prep. Uh, I had the opportunity to play for Mr. Loomis in multiple sports, and I'm sure we have a few fun stories to catch up on. And uh, he uh, set aside some time for us today to have a conversation, so I'm very much looking forward to this. Mr. Greg Loomis, welcome to the program. Thank you, Matt. It is awesome to be here. <laughs> awesome stuff. Well, well, you are joining me from uh, your office. It looks like here we're doing a Zoom call, and you currently uh, you kind of do a lot of work in the sporting goods store at Rio Hondo Prep. Uh, they have their own school store now, and additionally, you kind of help run things and provide sports gear for all of California, California, all of Care Youth League. So you're pretty busy with uh, merchandise these days do a lot of merchandise and do a lot of uh, lettering, you know, and farm some of the, I farm some of the lettering out to uh, a friend of mine who graduated in 1978 from here. He does a lot of our silk screening for our teams in the Youth League and in Rio on the Prep. <laughs> wow. Well, a lot of, a lot of gear, I'm sure a lot of sweatshirts and other items. I think it was my junior, yeah, junior year where Rio went to school uniforms and I remember that was a big change. And the rules were you could, you had to buy the true grits. I think what it was, you had to get yeah. stuff from them or you could wear something that was real Hondo uh, related. So we could get sweatshirts and jackets out of sport line at the time. So a lot of us went that route because we didn't want to get those school uniform ones. Yeah. <laughs> we still do that. They buy, they buy their, I have all the sweatshirts and jackets and stuff that they can buy here <laughs> in the uh, Atlanta club room. Oh, man. Well, great stuff. Uh, let, let's chat about uh, some of your experience, Mr. Loomis, at Cary Youth League and Rio Hondo Prep. Um, when, when did you get affiliated with the program known as, as Cary Youth League? Did it happen by mistake? Did, did you hear about it from a friend? Uh, tell me about your early days in Cary Youth League. It was all, and I never did ask my mom how she heard of this place. Uh, it was Boys Christian League back when I was in. I joined in uh, fourth grade during baseball season. The previous 
two or three years I had played little league and that was the only sport I played. And then one day my mom said, Hey, instead of little league, there's this other place you can play at. And I said, fine. And I remember that the first day I showed up was actually a game day. I didn't practice. I, I was at the game and I had my uniform on and sitting at the end of the bench on my team was my very best friend. And he never told me that he <laughs> at this place or anything. And so we were on this through sixth grade. I was playing with him in all the sports. He's a much better athlete than I was too. But it, it was kind of funny. And she was the one who got me into Rihanna prep. I didn't even know as I attended Care Youth League, I never heard that there was a school here. I didn't know it. And my mom came to me one day and said, hey, they have a, a, a school there. Mr. Johnson's one of the teachers because he was my coach in, in the Care Youth League program. Um, and said, you know, he teaches there. There's a school there. Do you want to go? And I said, sure. That was, I knew was nothing it. about it. And then I just, I just came down here and then I never left. <laughs> that's, that's hilarious. Uh, so Randall Johnson was your coach. So he was coaching uh, in the youth program at the time. He hadn't quite been affiliated with uh, high school yet. Right. He started in the high school when I was in the high school, when I was uh, in, I think he started when I was either in 10th or 11th grade. I'm going to guess it was 10th grade is when he started. Uh, Mr. Dowd was running the high school program before that. And then Mr. Johnson took over uh, from him. Okay. So, so you might be one of the only people that can answer this. Uh, Mr. Johnson as a coach in Cary Youth League versus him as a coach in high school, was there, was there any difference or did he kind of, I don't know, develop a little bit or approach you guys differently? There was a big difference. I, I, because I know what he was like in high school and he was really funny and very, um, poignant with his comments and, and, and he was kind of famous for that. When I was a kid, I never noticed any of that, um, it, which is interesting. Now, this is the first time I've actually thought about it in that way. But when he was coaching me as a kid, the only thing I remember is that I just really kind of wanted to be like him. That's my earliest reco recollection of it, the way that he did everything and coached and things. Um, he, he was very kind. He was very helpful. And I mean, he still was that in high school, but there was the other side to him that I saw in high school. So I think he kind of developed into that. He always coached us um, very, I, I don't ever remember him getting upset. So he wasn't like me. <laughs> uh, when I when when he was coaching, uh, that uh, so I didn't get that character trait from him, unfortunately. <laughs> oh, patient man, I'm sure. Uh, but anyone, everyone who's played for Mr. Johnson also knew that, you know, he had a way to really get his point across, and you knew when he was upset. It just yeah. kind of by a tone, by a look. Uh, and and, and he, when he started coaching in high school, I mean, he had really success right away. Um, 
the 1977 football team was the first eight-man championship in Rio Hondo history. And unfortunately, you just missed out on that being uh, on that team. You probably played with some of those guys the year before, but you graduated in 77. And to see that game or kind of know the guys who played in that game, legendary triple overtime game against Montclair Prep, I mean – does that game still stick out to you over the years, even though it was so long ago? Yeah, it, it does a lot. And we had, um, it, just to kind of set it, I, I remember the first time we played Montclair Prep. Um, I, I, I'm not 100% sure on this, but I think Mr. Johnson's first season was 75. Okay. I was on the varsity team, and um, we were bad. We stunk. Uh, we had like, I think we might have had one or two seniors, and the rest of us were juniors, and we had all played JVs before. So we just got, I remember we played Montclair. This would be an interesting, this is a good remembrance for you. But we played Montclair in 75, and they had a guy, I will never forget him because Mr. Lunny, who was coaching the defense with him in 75, um, I was the quarterback, so I played offense, and Mr. Lunny got so mad at some, one of the defensive linemen that he did one of his famous Loomis get in the game for, for whoever, I think he called him his grandma. <laughs> I don't remember who the player was, but I, I went in, and I was on defense and the guy lined up across from me i never forget his name i don't know what became of him but his name he was this african-american guy he was like 6'8 260 his name was al rivers he was just a giant i'd never seen a human being as big as him and i was lining up helmet to helmet with the guy on defense and i remember that he just kind of looked at me because i weighed you know, like 116 pounds, I think, when I was a junior. And he just looked at me and he kind of smiled, but he didn't, he didn't, he never just flattened me. He just kind of made sure that I didn't disrupt anything that was happening on their side of the ball. That was, that was his, I think that was Mr. Johnson's first year. And then in 76, we got a whole lot better um, because we had a heavy group of seniors and, um, the the group of juniors who would be the set the main people on the 77 team uh were all juniors in 76 and so we had a very good year that year um lost in the um i think it was the semifinals that we lost to on virtually the last play of the game um where uh we we actually scored to go ahead and then when we kicked off to them at the end of the game, there was like two minutes left. We kicked off to them and they ran back a touchdown and went ahead. And so we had to attempt a two minute drive. We didn't kick back in those days, but we were just hoping because we were down like two points to get into field goal range. And uh, I kind of remember slow motion the whole end of that game because we didn't quite make it. And then <laughs> He did and Mr. Johnson had me uh, start uh, right after I graduated. He had me start filming the games. Oh, okay. For for uh, for the video, 
stuff. So I remember filming all the the games that year and the year and all those years that he was doing that. I was basically the video guy. <laughs> well, I know it was the year after you, but that that uh, that game it was done by a professional film crew, of course, hired right. by was, yes. Montclair Prep, and they thought yeah. you know they're going to win, and just a, a really cool. Uh, piece of real hondo prep history for sure uh yeah absolutely well tell me uh mr loomis about baseball that was kind of more uh your thing we'll say the thing you were probably best at uh really good pitcher uh and you later coached uh, varsity baseball at real hondo prep which which we'll get to but tell me about your playing days at real hondo prep uh, as a pitcher and just kind of some of your experiences in baseball there okay um, baseball back then, I remember we, um, when I was a sophomore, um, I played varsity, but, and Mr. Johnson was the coach. Um, but I remember him not pitching me that much. And he was the guy, the very first coach I ever pitched for when I was in, I think I was in sixth grade. I played the first two years I didn't pitch and I told him I wanted to pitch. And he said, well, you got to practice. And so I started practicing. And then in sixth grade, he let me pitch. And uh, we were playing a team. This is a little bit off of the question, but no problem. This batter that I faced as a care youth league pitcher, home run. <laughs> I remember that. But Mr. Johnson didn't give up on me. And, and when I was a sophomore, he had me pitch. Uh, we played in league. We played every team uh, twice back then. He had me pitch four games, but I only pitched against, like in league, I pitched against the weaker teams. I remember pitching at Chadwick uh, when I was a sophomore and a junior and a senior because there was always a wind at Chadwick and I knew how to throw a knuckleball. And so I threw tons of knuckleballs because they just moved all over the place at Chadwick. Other places I didn't throw as many, but at Chadwick, it, it made the ball go uh, kind of crazy. Um, but I did, I did, he, he, I think he set me up to have success when I was a, a sophomore. Mm -hmm. um, and then with him with a junior and senior, um, back in those days, one of the things that Mr. Johnson trained and I, I've done when I, when I coached the varsity, I started a program where we would have an alumni game and I started trying to send out newsletters. And when I did that, I started researching uh, real hondo prep baseball. I was trying to get as much as I could. And I compiled and looked up a bunch of stuff and I had all the old records, um, most of them dating back to the 60s. And I started going through them, figuring out, you know, like, you know, who, who had whatever records, what teams had the records, what individual players at Real Hondo Prep uh, had records in all the categories of, um, of playing. But one of the things that Mr. Johnson was super big on was base stealing. And we worked on it and he ingrained it in us. And if you go, like even today, um, if you go to the CIF website and you look in the history department of the Southern section, they have a record book there. And Real Hondo Prep is in the record books in baseball, in statistics that have to do with stealing. Um, Jim Key, who graduated uh, with me 
in 77 uh, is like, I'm trying to remember either number two or number three on the list for most steals in the game. We played um, Lutheran Orange and he had nine steals in a game. And that's number two on the CIF list. And we had teams, I know my team and the 78 team and the 1980 team uh, that Mr. Johnson was the baseball coach of are all in the CIF record books for steals in a game and steals in a season. Wow. Um, so they're still there today. That was one of the big things that he drilled on us. And I was like, when I was coaching varsity, I was trying to figure out why we were good at this because in coaching varsity, we didn't seem to be very good at it. And it was a lot harder. And I was trying to think, well, coach, catchers just stupid back then or whatever and I still today I don't know the answer to that because some of the you know catchers we play our own catcher Mike the guy who caught me most of my games was really really good you know Dan Kirby and batted like 400 and and was just like a lights out catcher but I don't know what the difference was I couldn't come up with it I tried to come up with little tricks to help our guys uh, steal bases or at least get going when they sense that it's going to be a bad pitch partway to the plate, take off. But we never have approached anything like we did back in those days where, where uh, I think we got over 30 steals in a few games and the career or the uh, year steals for the, for the entire team was 240, I think, in 1980 or something. And it's just like, you know, but that was one of the things that, that he was super big on. Mm-hmm. And he was doing that, uh, you know, obviously in, in Care Euclid too, although Care Euclid catchers. So. <laughs> Thou shalt not steal unless it's a baseball game. I love that's, it. That's oh, exactly. man. <laughs> well, well, tell me about your, your, your pitching outside of the knuckleball. Kind of where, where did you find uh, so much success? I mean, I know you were never a big guy, but uh, were you a guy that just located really well? You, you kept guys off balance. What was kind of uh, the method to your success? Uh, and I owe a lot of it to Mr. Johnson um, and, and people who worked with me when I was in junior high. Jim Smith was my junior high teacher. He, used to, he forced us, if we were pitchers on his team, to throw 50 pitches every day. And so we would go out every single day uh, and throw, you know, we play our care youth games on Saturday, but every day we threw 50 pitches and it, it, uh, it definitely helped locate. Mm. And I studied enough to know that if I could throw in the right location and if I remembered what the hitter is like, and I looked at where he was standing in the box and I watched him swing. And the second time through, I, I watched him to see whether he stepped out or stepped in and things like that. And I learned, uh, uh, I, I trained myself to be able to throw corners. Mm. And the, um, I remember the, uh, you know, I, I struck out a, a lot of guys um, throughout my career in pitching. I, I averaged like a strikeout and a half an inning, I think, or oh, something wow. close to that. But it was always through studying. It was never because I was the fastest pitcher 
uh, out there. And when I when I got older and was in college and after college, just being a, a young adult, you know, studying Greg Maddox was, you know, watching him because he wasn't overpowering, but he did locate. And I remember being taught that if I could consistently throw corners, the umpires would call strikes. And sometimes they would call them being out farther. I developed <laughs> I made up a pitch once when we played Orange Luther in that game. I told you that Jim Key holds the red, one of the CIF records for stolen bases in a game. We were playing them and had never played them before. And I get there because I'm a right-hander. And it's like, I think it was like the first six guys in their lineup were left-handed or something like that. It was ridiculous. It was like virtually, I had never experienced that in my life. You know, every, every team had maybe one left-hander on it. If there was two, it was really weird. But these guys had a ton of them. And I remember sitting out there and I said, man, if I throw my regular breaking ball, it's going right in to them, which could be good if I started it in and had it go on their hands. But I liked starting it out and throwing it over the out, outer corner. And I go, they're just going to rock it. And so I had messed with this before, but I had never tried it. And I stuck one finger on the ball like that and gripped it with the other three fingers and started throwing straight over the top. And I was getting a pitch that instead of going like this was going like that. It was, just, it was like a sinker. More 12, six, more 12, six break yeah. on it. Yeah. And I remember I just started throwing it that game Oh, <laughs> and, and it worked really well. Uh, we won that game and everything, but uh, they obviously have improved since those days <laughs> to a very good team. But, but I remember at that field just being, just throwing that thing and it was working and going. And again, it was, it's all about uh, arm conditioning and mm -hmm. practicing, which I couldn't do really. And I'm so glad I did it in junior high. Now that I think back on it, because when I was in high school, I couldn't practice because I pitched virtually, you know, I was a Tuesday, Friday guy. I pitched every, I mean, you know, uh, I, I pitched almost every single game. And when we had a game after a day, I remember Mr. Johnson signed us up for this tournament once out in the desert against teams like Quartz Hill. And they were in our division when I was in a senior. Quartz Hill, they hold a lot of hitting records in the CIF record book too. Um, but uh, I remember the day we went out there, I had just pitched seven innings the day before and I could not even hardly like lift up my arm I mean I it just felt horrible and he stepped me at second base which I, I didn't play because he figured I might be able to throw it over there I don't think anybody ever hit me the ball that game so I was lucky but um it it, it I had to I I pitched a lot of games so I never really could practice I don't remember pitching hardly at all in practice which is something, again, that has changed throughout the years where you don't just have some guy throw a ton. Did they have any – I know now they have pitch counts at CIF. Did they have inning restrictions back then? No. No. <laughs> Every no. game. Go ahead. <laughs> they, they, they just said it. Yeah, they just said you do whatever you – you know, it, there, was, there was no stipend about it. I think the most – I pitched uh, – I pitched uh, 93 – innings when I was a senior and like when I was a junior it was, I pitched like 80 or something like that 
um, which and we play, I think, 18 games. Mm -hmm. So when you calculate it out, there wasn't a whole lot of innings that I didn't throw. And it worked, you know, it worked for us back then to, to do that. And people, I mean, it was, it was like that in the pros, you know, the pro starting pitchers, they threw a lot uh -huh. and they would yeah. throw, you know, and that's something that has changed. So it, it's changed all throughout baseball. Yeah. Oh, you're right about that. You're, you're definitely right. Uh, well, how'd you guys do in, in the postseason? Do you have any memories or, or stories you can tell us from uh, any postseason experiences uh, during your baseball career? Yeah, we made, uh, we were in the playoffs both when I was a junior and a senior. Um, when I was a senior, we lost in the uh, semifinals and um, the the thing I remember, because this was the this would have been the last game I pitched in high school, and I should, probably should have looked it up who we were playing. In my head, I'm thinking we played Brethren. Um, we lost like four to two, or something like that. But um, I remember that when I went out to pitch the game because I was okay to pitch that game. Evidently, the game before in the playoffs, I pitched. But I didn't have to throw seven innings and we won. Uh, and, and so I was fine. And I was warming up and I felt good. And I went out on the mound and I threw it. It was a home game out on field one. And I was throwing right where I wanted to. And I felt really good. And my breaking ball and knuckleball, everything was working. And the, um, we got out there and the umpire just started calling balls. When the game started, he, everything I threw, he called the ball. And it was like I, the first 12 pitches were all balls. And after the first four, when all four were striked, according to me, sometimes <laughs> when you, obviously when you're in it, you, you're going to think everything. But looking back on it, yes, I was, I was on. I, I had it. I was throwing strikes, but he was calling them all balls. And after about eight in a row, it's like all the kids who are watching, the people around who are watching, the other teachers and, and people who are here and the other kids in high school, they're all just yelling because this because they're watching the catcher and, and the catcher's not moving his glove and it's a ball uh, anyway. And so they, they ended up with bases loaded. But I remember uh, Mr. Hampton, the guy who started Care Youth League and, and basically started the school and everything was always really uh, close with me and helped me out tremendously in my life. He was watching the game from what is now Mr. Carson's office upstairs overlooking field one, those partition, the glass room up there um, that you, everybody probably remembers. And um, he came down from up there and somehow he was, you know, 70 something years old but he climbed up on something and got behind the backstop. He knew who the umpire was. He was, he had worked with him and this guy was a teacher at Azusa Pacific University, the, the umpire, okay, a Christian. And um, Mr. Hampton just started, and he knew him. He just started laying into him. Uh, I remember one of the things he said was, <laughs> I had never, this is something I had never seen from Mr. Hampton before or after, but he, he literally said to the man, did your, did your mom hurt you when you were a small boy or something like that? 
because he was just, and he just got on. And after he did that and yelled at the guy, he called a regular game. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was bizarre to say the least. That was my last experience pitching in high school, unfortunately. <laughs> and the team we played was, I mean, they were really good. I'm not going to take anything away from them because they were, I mean, they had better players than we did. Mm -hmm. But still, you know, it was four to two. Uh, we were in it. Uh, and, and if we won, we would have played Fillmore. Uh, oh, man. Well, that's a tough way to, tough way for it all to end. <laughs> but, uh, Mr. Hampton, I've heard, uh, a lot of amazing things about him, but one thing he truly was was competitive, and uh, <laughs> that's really fun. Maybe the maybe that umpire was having a, a bad day. Had his head elsewhere. It sounded like he wasn't involved in the game. Uh, well, tough tough way to end. Tough way to close out the high school career. Now, after high school, with all your pitching success, did was there ever, was there any opportunities for you to play uh, college ball, or did you ever look in anything like that? I didn't really look into it. My stepdad at the time looked into it and said that I could have. He was, he happened to be like an athlete. Um, he was a Temple City Sheriff's uh, sheriff, but he looked into it because he saw I was good at it. I never really ever thought about playing college ball anywhere because I wanted to do RHLA. Okay. I remember distinctly that that was in my head at the time, that that's what I wanted to do. And um, as is always true, um, because this, this is true, that the, the desires of your heart, because I did love baseball and I really wanted to play baseball, but I wanted to be an RHLA. So you could look at that and I could have looked at that and said, Oh, I'm sacrificing something that could have been, or I wonder what could have been. But while I was in RHLA, we played baseball and we got to play other colleges, um, uh, tons of other colleges and team uh, semi-pro teams. We played sometimes, but throughout my time in RHLA, cause it took me a long time to graduate from college. That's another story. That we won't <laughs> but, um, you know, I was playing baseball. And so it was, I really got the desire of my heart and didn't really have to give up anything. And it mm -hmm. was, it was a lot of fun. I loved those, the days that we played RHLA baseball, I loved them. And for those that don't know, real RHLA stands for Real Hondo Leadership Academy. It's basically for Real Hondo Prep graduates who kind of want to stick around, continue to volunteer, give back and, and kind of train uh continue to training really to be a full-time leader coach at uh, care youth league or real hondo prep uh so it's interesting mr loomis that you guys were able to do that to you guys weren't a college you were a group of college kids so how did you how did you, no pun intended here how did you guys pitch the idea to other colleges like hey we got a group of guys that want to play like how did you explain it to them i don't know I, to this day, I don't know how we pulled this off because we did play teams that won. Um, you know, I remember playing, um, shoot, one of the colleges out there, I'm trying to remember, that, that won the, the Division Three <laughs> college yeah. championship. 
or whatever it was. And, you know, we played USC one year. Um, I, I don't know because you would think that you couldn't do that. And I would assume you can't yeah. really do that. And yet I, I think it just shows one of the things it shows is that it was really God's plan and his <laughs> grace and his all that, that he allowed us to do that because I don't think you can, I don't think I could start that program up now and do, and do what we did back back in the 70s and 80s we could pull it off and I I don't know how we did it <laughs> that's really funny uh so you said you, you played USC uh what was that experience like because USC has a great baseball history and you know at the time I'm sure they were they were uh one of the top teams in the country so you guys just went over there said hey can we play and uh and went at it what, what was it like so what the team that we played we got to play we played there uh you know a lot of our home games had to be i mean we played some here at this field but for college this field is really not <laughs> not a good one um we played at arcadia park you know but again when you play at arcadia park you know it's an all dirt infield so it doesn't have that feel so getting to play at other colleges was cool you know playing at we played at cal state la i remember we played at usc we played at uh, laverne different places that have really nice fields and stadiums and stuff so that part is really cool getting to to do that um but we played usc and what what it was it wasn't everybody on the baseball team the the guys that that we played against were I, so I don't want to make it sound like we were legitimately mm -hmm. playing the USC team, but they they had um, they had games at uh, one of the other PAC back then it was PAC ten uh, at one of the other PAC ten schools, and they don't travel everybody. Um, they figured out exactly how many pitchers they needed, and they figured out exactly who was going to go and they the the people that remained behind that was the group of players that we played i still remember that they were just like legit these were the best I mean, some of the best baseball players that i ever played against and they were legitimately really good and they could uh Pitching there was fun. I'd like to say I had wonderful success and we blew them out, but that would be a lie. Um, they were legitimately good hitters and could and could take what you gave them. I remember giving up hits on balls that were, you know, two two inches off the ground and falling away, and a guy would just hit it over the first baseman's head and stuff like that and. Uh, but still, the experience of getting to do it uh, was just awesome. I had been a USC fan my entire life because my parents raised me as USC fan. And so to go there and play, you know, I went to some clinics there, coaching clinics there afterwards, like when I was coaching. Um, but it was it was just really fun. Yeah, the legendary to be a part of the legendary Dato Field. I, what an experience yep. to, to play yep. there. Uh, 
got an umpire there before and do different. Yeah. It's just, a, it's a great place, a great field. Uh, and it's funny, as you mentioned, how sometimes your goals or desires of your heart, like you gotta, you gotta be specific with them or, or God, sometimes he gives it to you. Just not quite the way you saw it. <laughs> Cause I can honestly say that I was like, I was like, man, I, I did kind of achieve that or was able to do that, but that's not exactly how I saw it happening. So I think yeah. it's important to be specific with, your goals and your desires or, uh, or God will run with them kind of, uh, yep. well, well you, uh, Mr. Loomis, I got to real Honda prep in, uh, 1998, I think I was a seventh grader. Um, I think at that time you had been teaching seventh grade for a while. And, uh, I, I do remember enjoying your class. It was you and Gary Lunny who had the other seventh grade class. And, uh, it was really shortly after that, that, you kind of began coaching in the high school uh, and working with, um, you know, the JV teams and this and that, and then eventually uh, doing varsity. But I do remember when I was in high school, you kind of had this, uh, how do I say this? You had the responsibility of really continuing on what Gary Lunny had created. You, you took over as the defensive coordinator and Mr. Lunny was still kind of involved but, you know, he was, he was going to be retiring soon. And, I mean, what, what do you say really about taking on that responsibility of coaching the defense but following in the footsteps of someone like Gary Lunny? It was an interesting thing. I started with somebody must have been thinking something because I remember uh, when you were in seventh grade is when I started uh, – working a little with him on defense with the varsity. Mm -hmm. um, I was not a varsity coach, um, but he had me go there. So when we won the championship, you know, in 2000, uh, the, the last couple eight man championships with um, those teams, he was training me kind of about defense. Cause when I was in high school, and face it, we learn a lot when we're in high school by playing. Yeah. I didn't play defense. I was the quarterback and I did not go, I, I, I wasn't that good at it. And that, that's another thing that God always throws at you <laughs> to, 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 to do that. But I remember him going over everything and he always had his papers and he had everything drawn out. And I started being able to sort of, uh, he was teaching me how to think that way. Um, and, and so doing that for the first, those last couple of eight man championship teams that I got to help with and then transitioning into 11 man in which uh, he was going to, uh, uh, he was going to help me instead of me helping him. Um, it, it, you know, and I, I still remember, I have, I have over my file cabinet here in my office, all the stuff that he ever gave me uh, back then, you know, this was pre-computers, so everything was drawn out, you know, and, and the papers were all drawn out and uh, things like that, we have gotten much better at, but I still have the files that he gave me on uh, defense and how to run it for eight-man football, and then the when we started 11 man football. And of course, Mr. Carson uh, took over for me 
and he was uh, he is I can't say how much above me he was for defense because he fought the right way all the time. I have always thought being because I played quarterback, I have always thought like an offensive guy. Mm-hmm. And that's just how my brain is wired. But it was fantastic being with Mr. Lunny and having him draw all these things up and saying, this is how we need to do it. And this is the, he had all these things and he, the way he did it actually inspired me for, for once Mr. Carson started doing the defense, I started doing special teams and it kind of, you know, I really didn't have any experience with special teams either. So I had to look stuff up by then we had computers. So it was easy. I, I, I was looking stuff up and stuff and I'm, but the stuff that Mr. Lenny taught me about how not to always go right at a certain place by getting there as quickly as you can, but by taking different routes, you know, he was a big fan of stunting and, and blitzing and dropping and all those things that are so popular in defense. Now he was doing that, that stuff in eight man football. And he kind of, that I, I kind of took that with me with special teams and we had different things where we would not run straight down the field to make a tackle. I, I would assign a guy on one side of the field, uh, you know, I want you to block the number two guy on the other side of the field. You know, everybody had their own guy, but they were coming from the, not straight in front of them. So he kind of inspired that in me to research and find out ways that we could do things. But so he, he was a great influence and he was um, just a brilliant, brilliant defensive thinker is what he was. And he, you know, all the eight man championships that we won, I mean, he was, he was just like Mr. Johnson. He was the guy. Yeah. Mr. Johnson was the offense. Mr. Lunny was a defense. Two, uh, two legends for sure. And in eight man football, you know, the scores can be really high. So defense is kind of like an afterthought, but I think the aggressiveness and the prepare yeah. preparation that Gary Lunny really put into things, uh, assignment football, attacking, like, there was strategy to it, and I think, uh, man, it must have just been an absolute blessing to, to uh, work beside him and with him. And then, man, I, I, a burden maybe in, in kind of following his footsteps, I would say, well, yeah. responsibility. <laughs> I was feeling our first couple years of 11-man football, I was really feeling, you know, kind of lost. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I have to admit that, and, you know, our – I, I, but I remember because I was so trying and I, I remember certain games that we played those years that we lost and I'm going and I'm just thinking in my head, man, I should have done this different. We should have done that. And those type of things are always, uh, were always running through my mind because it seemed like I never truly had a hundred percent bead on exactly and getting across to everybody exactly what we were doing which is one of the reasons why I say Mr. Carson is so much better at this than I was because he gets, he gets the defensive stuff across to everybody so that everybody understands exactly. That was one of my uh, weaknesses, making sure that everybody knew exactly what was happening every single play, you know, (laughs) Uh, well, yeah. well, Mark Carson is the, the current head coach of Real Hondo Prep, and he does a tremendous job defensively. He has for a lot of years as a coordinator. 
but you know what, Mr. Loomis, I played for you and uh, you know, you'd send the signals into me and, and it was, it was a good time. I remember, I mean that the, uh, the junior year, which was our last eight man championship. And we played Joshua Springs in the final 2001 and most championship games were blowouts for Rio the, in previous years. That game was not. It was uh, an overtime game, and I think we gave up over 200 yards to, to Colin Woodbury that day. But, yes, <laughs> hey, 28 points in eight-man, uh, all things considered, not bad. We took him to overtime. We yeah. got a stop on fourth down, and then we won it. So do you remember that game? I mean, it was pretty exciting. I distinctly remember, and it was one of the ones that, that you know, when I was helping – helping uh mr lunny with um uh before that <laughs> i never really i mean i was a part but i didn't like feel a part but that one i felt like totally a part of and i i the thing i remember most about the end of the game and the fact that we came up with that stop and that we that and then one is right afterwards. I just like I, the the feeling that I have. I was just so I was so happy for you guys, and I felt so calm that finally uh, it, it, it's just like a weight was lifted off of my shoulders. It's, it was really the best way to describe it. And I was so happy and I just wanted to watch everybody have fun mm -hmm. and stand back and just observe the happiness and the joy. And that, that, you know, I got little snapshots that flashed through my mind. So it was, you know, you sit as a, as an adult, as a coach who is, you know, just, done everything with these kids and seen what they've sacrificed and you've been with them. So you feel like a, a family anyway, to just sit there back by the bank and just watch, um, you know, the, the, the joy, the, the exaltation, the, the families who are, you know, the moms and dads who run out there and stuff. And it's just, you know, until you've had an experience like that, where you're not it's not about you you know it's mm -hmm. just it's about the kids and what they're doing and it's just that's the best part about um about winning a championship uh in in my estimation is watching the reaction of, yeah. of people and oh. so that, that that's the part that's just stuck with me because that's for all the championships I've been a part of, it's the part I've enjoyed the most. Yeah, all the hard work, everything kind of comes in. You just kind of sit back and smile and see. Yeah, it's it's not just one person or a couple people. It's a group of people collectively coming together. I still don't know how we stopped that guy. We 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 stopped we stopped him enough. That team was undefeated. Had put up more points uh, than that all year, and uh, it it was our day. Uh, we. Defensively, we played just good enough. We'll say that. <laughs> and yeah, like you said, when when you see what if you look at all their other games, and you look at that that guy, you just go, 
Okay. <laughs> I don't know how we did it either, but. <laughs> oh, again, uh, again, I think the 77 game takes the cake, but that had a, a feel to it of that, where they brought a bunch of people, they had film crews, they set up all kinds of stuff. Uh, Carefield, man, just uh, one of the fun memories I had. Uh, well, we go into the next season, Mr. Loomis, my senior year, and we have this, uh, this new challenge ahead of us, this new uh, era of real hondo prep football. We're going 11-man, and we had played a few 11-man games. And even though we won an eight-man championship, we felt that we had a title to defend. Whether it was 11-man or not, we went into it thinking, you know, it's win or bust for us. And one of the things that you're very famous for amongst uh, the guys from my era and after is uh, is your conditioning drills. And I would say you you pushed young men quite uh, quite hard in the sense that we don't know how you came up with some of the drills and the running and sprints that you did. And you always joked with us. Well, maybe it wasn't a joke. We always said, Mr. Loomis, where do you come up with this stuff? And you would say, guys, I stay up at nights. I stay up at nights thinking uh, of, of ways that are to train you. And I want to write a book someday, uh, how to win an 11 man championship with 18 guys. So I don't know how much you remember that, but I do. I still have uh, nightmares really about uh, some of those runs and stuff we had to do. Yeah. I, I think part of it was, part of it was that if you, if in that aspect of football, making everything the same every time breeds. I, I, I just felt I needed to be creative because I knew we were in over our head with the amount of players that we had mm -hmm. trying to repeat. And so you kind of know that we have to be, at least in my head, what I'm thinking is, we have to be in better shape than any team we play, regardless of who it is. And so I, I've always been a creative thinker and a creative person. That's, that's the way I am. I'm just, I try to be creative. And I didn't want it to be a rut where, I mean, the rut part was, oh, it's time to condition. <laughs> but because we never knew what was coming, I think there was always an era of, and it probably, I don't, I would guess it probably created more stress in the back of all your minds, but it was a different type of thing where, oh, it's, it does, it's not the same thing every single time. I think that that's what coaches, I mean, you want some stuff to be the same every single time. And you, you know, when you call a play, you want it to be run the same way every single time. And you want to think because that breeds success. But in conditioning, I just thought it, it needed to be different. And I, I <laughs> it. It, it was uh, very much so. And, you know, it used to yeah. be like, okay, guys, Mondays is the 100-yard sprints and Tuesdays is up the bank and Wednesdays is the six laps in six minutes or something like that. But when you kind of took over – you were having us do all kinds of stuff. Okay, you need to run here, then do a somersault, then get up, backpedal 10 yards. I mean, uh, I, I tried not to think about it because it was tough stuff, but you did, you did fun stuff like you would have us 
you you would reward the guy at the end of the drill on Wednesday nights or something who ran the hardest, who didn't maybe finish first, but who you thought was given uh, their all and they got a box of candy or something. And you were, yeah. you were very, very creative and clever, I'll say. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think my brother Sam one time told me that they were going over to someone's house and, you know, you live by some other uh, care people or something. And I think one night they saw you like sitting in your chair, still like looking at the TV and they're like, he does stay up at night thinking about these things. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> you have to have an era of mysteriousness about you. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, football. Uh, well, before we talk a little baseball again, Mr. Loomis, let me, how do I say this? You've always been a, you've always had an interesting relationship with referees. Uh, I remember <laughs> football and basketball. You're very loud as well. I will say what, where does that all stem from? Your is it your competitive nature? You just uh, have strict uh, opinions on things. What, where does this relationship with referees uh, stem from? I, I think it always, um, it always comes if I can say it this way, it always comes from a good place, but it's not always good. I want to stick up for my players. I mean, that's what's in my head. My guy just got ripped off because the ref did this and he shouldn't have done it. That's always where it comes from. I, it took me a lifetime, basically, to, and, and I can see that throughout the years, uh, uh, because I can compare myself year to year uh, up through when I was coaching. And, you know, even, even it, it, this comes out in me all the time. I remember coaching a, a, a soccer game and the referee, um, Alex McNeese was the goalie and the referee gave Alex McNeese a red card. He was the goalie for roughing up another player as Alex was trying to catch the ball. Oh, wow. Okay. And I went off because it was just, I'd never seen anything like this in my life. I couldn't, I, I was trying, I was trying to rationalize what could the guy have been seeing? What did, what is he thinking? Calling a red card on a goalie. And it, it's just, but, but I did, did get better and better at not um, getting all over the referees. Although I, you know, I remember sometimes that I regret on my last year coaching JV football, we were playing somewhere away and Things were going fine, and we ran a play that the other team stopped. Like I think it was like a power 31, and they blitzed the guy on that side, and the guy came in and, and like wrapped up whoever was the running back, and, and the ref didn't blow the whistle. And the guy had him wrapped up, and he just kept him wrapped up, but, the, but he kept moving him backwards. And I remember at the end of the play, the ref marked the ball like where it ended up. So it was like a, an 18-yard loss 
oh. on a power 31 that the guy got hit about four yards off the line of scrimmage. <laughs> and I remember going off because again, it's totally the wrong call. Yeah. Uh, but yes, I do regret some of my vocalizations, <laughs> but it was always, again, I'm always just thinking of the guy who's uh, our guy who's getting hurt. Yeah, no, I hear you. Any off. Anytime uh, I, uh, to kind of transition to basketball, I, 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 I tried to take charges all the time and I, and I take, you know, and you, if, if I didn't get a call, you lost your mind. What's he got to do to get it? It was, it was so funny. I mean, yeah. let, let me ask you, uh, what, what does your wife think or maybe your kids about some of your vocal antics over the years? I know they've subsided a little bit. <laughs> yes, you ever have, say, Hey, uh, you know, it's, it's something that my kids have never seen from me outside of when I'm a coach. Yeah. Uh, I remember purposely when my son was growing up in Care Youth League. So he started, I don't remember when he started Care Youth League. I think it was like in 2000. So I'm the varsity coach. I'd bring him out to practices sometimes like on Wednesday nights and stuff like that. But I remember throughout his entire, and same with my daughters, throughout their entire Care Youth League sports career, because I was working in high school, I got to watch a lot of their games, which I super appreciated being able to, because a lot of people don't get, to, don't get to watch all their kids' games. I got to watch every single one of my girls and my son's game unless there was a conflict, you know, for field location or something. But not one time during all of those game, hundreds and hundreds of games, did I ever say anything out loud? <laughs> I just sat there and I watched and I smiled and I never said a word to a coach. I never said a word to a referee or an umpire, unless an umpire asked me what happened or something, I might say something, but I, I never would say anything. And so I know, so I don't know that my kids, uh, my son a little bit, cause he was on JVs the last year I coached JV football, but I don't think they, they really have ever seen. There's a lot of parts of my life that being a bad one, but even some good ones that they find out about me now and they go, you're kidding, you know, cause they don't, it, it's not part of my, <laughs> part of my life now. And when I, if I'm watching games now, I tend not to, uh, uh, you know, if I'm watching, <laughs> I watched some varsity games last year, you know, in baseball out here. And I, I, I won't say a word. I'll just sit there and watch. And if the guy does bad, I'll say, man, he's doing bad, but I'll say it to myself. Yeah. It, it, <laughs> yeah. That's good. No, it, it's funny that when you're the coach of a team, you just, the responsibilities on you. So you, you act different way. I know I did, uh, you know, playing and now as a kind of an umpire referee, a lot myself, it's, it's a different mentality, but yeah, I always wonder, you know, hearing about uh, crazy coaches and I, and I would, when I was refereeing, I'd always think to myself, like, man, that guy losing his mind over there has to go home or goes home to some nice lady, I'm sure. And she has no idea what a lunatic he is. Uh, <laughs> not you, not you, of course. But uh, anyway, uh, well, what kind of basketball? I remember you coached JV basketball for us uh, for a couple of years and you always were very upfront about it. And you were like, you know, basketball is not really my thing, but we're going to be, again, creative, clever. We're going to do weird drills. Uh, we were not very good when I was on JV basketball, but 
I do remember you had us do some odd drills and stuff. I, um, I look back fondly on some of those. Uh, uh, Devin still speaks about it every once in a while, but it, it's, it was something I remember, you know, and, and I kind of get it from when I played. Yeah. So I take my personality from when I played basketball, um, you know, at Real Hunter Prep and okay, this is going to sound funny because we made it to the playoffs and, and did really good things when I was a senior and, and had a really good team. We, we really didn't have like, I'm trying to think, we really didn't have plays. <laughs> you, know? you know, where nowadays mm-hmm. you're, you're doing, and I, I, know, I know all this stuff, but when, when, when I was playing, that really our, our deal was to play as hard-nosed a defense as we could and then get down the court. I mean, we fast break people to death. I mean, one of the, the first times our school beat Polly, we just ran those guys out of the gym. I mean, they were way better basketball players than we were, but we ran and ran and we would do fast breaks. And so that was always in my head of the way that, that I was successful as a player. So yeah. as a coach, I want to kind of teach that we need to be able to run. And so you come up with drills, you come up with things to try to get people so they automatic reaction is fast, mm-hmm. not slow it down and things, which has its disadvantages as well, strategically. <laughs> but uh, okay, now, what's that? What's the ex Laker coach about his, uh, uh, what's that guy's name? The guy who trains all his guys on the, the uh, Rockets coach. Who is that? Oh, I, uh, D'Antoni, Mike D'Antoni. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, his, you know, we can only hold the ball for 14 seconds and then yeah. you got to three and stuff, you know, so it, it, it doesn't necessarily work, but that was my experience. So I tried, again, I tried to think of fun ways to do stuff to get everybody in a running and reactionary mode yeah. where you get rid of the ball <laughs> as fast as you possibly can. So, you know. You would, do, you would do stuff like we had these goggles we wore in practice that so oh, you yeah. couldn't look down at the ball, and right. those, those were odd. You said, okay, if we did a drill where, hey, if you're getting chased by a guy bigger than you, uh, do your layup early, like off the wrong foot. We practiced that. I was just like, all these weird things that stick out to me when I was a, when I was a freshman. It was uh, good times. Again, we had fun. And uh, yes, you were rather intense as a basketball I coach. Tell you where, I'll tell you where I got that idea. So when I was playing, I wish I could, my memory is horrible, but when I was a senior, we were, we were playing some team at their gym and I was a team captain of, of the team and would go out at center court before the game. Right. Yeah. So we walk out there, the team we were playing was really good. We walk out there, the guy who comes out that that's their captain, six, eight. And I came up to like a little bit above his belly button. I mean, in reality. And like people in the bleachers are laughing because it just looks funny. Yeah. It is a little dude, big old huge dude. But I remember it, we lost the game. But I distinctly remember that I was out on a fast break and I, I was going to do a layup 
and I saw out of the corner of my eye that this guy was close to me. So just on the fly, I took a step with my right foot and then just threw the ball up and, and I made it. And that was when I was, when I was coming up with that drill, that's the reason behind it, which I probably never told you guys, but the concept of being able to do something uh, unexpected can throw people off, you know, which is I, uh, true and all. all. Oh, absolutely. And I, and I'm with you there. I was never very tall myself. And so I needed every little trick I, I could. <laughs> so I picked up a few things. Uh, definitely those days. Uh, I don't know. I was, um, I forgot to mention this earlier, but I was a rather rough player and uh, I do remember. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, JV's. I remember I, I, I undercut a guy. I broke his collarbone. I think I, he went up for a bat. I don't know what I was thinking. Probably not, you know, and I, and you were like, man, you almost killed that guy or something. <laughs> I'm sorry. Not really sorry, but I didn't like those Flint Ridge guys anyway. Uh, well, well, we talked a little baseball earlier on. Um, but as far as coaching baseball, you became the real Hondo prep head baseball coach. Um, in the late nineties. And I got to ask you as someone who loved baseball, who had a great success as a player, was that kind of like a, a, a lifelong dream? Was that a very like special uh, honor really to become the head baseball coach of real Honda prep baseball? It really was when I was a senior and my best friend at the school was a, a year younger than me was a junior. Um, Ken Fuller. He holds some school records in various sports. He's the guy who does our, our silk screening for all of Care Youth League and Rio Honda Prep now because he owns a silk screening company. Um, but I remember him and me sitting in the old batting cages, which were at the end of field one, not where they presently are, but um, kind of where right field and the walkway is now. We used to have batting cages there. And we were sitting in a batting cage in high school, I was a senior, he was a junior, it was in the summer. And uh, they were, there was like a father's softball game being played on the field. And we were just sitting there because we were always hanging out down at school, no matter what. And we said to each other, we want to coach, we're, we're going to coach, both of us said this, we're going to coach varsity together. Baseball, he always liked baseball. He's he much better at football, but he was really, he was really good at everything fast. But but we said that, and I said that, and, and, and I always remembered that. And I remember Mr. Johnson in the early 80s um, had me help him. Uh, he was the varsity baseball coach, and I was in RHLA, and I was coaching my own whatever. I don't remember what I was doing, working in Sportline, doing all kinds of stuff. But he asked me if I would help with baseball. So I helped with the baseball team in the very early 80s. Um, and I'm trying to think of guys like Todd Bell, mm -hmm. uh, Steve Mendoza, Mike Dore. Way, uh, these are guys who played in the 80s. And I got to coach them in the 80s. So I actually learned uh, most of what, what I did for baseball from Mr. Johnson. I remember the practices. I remember how he ran them. I remember the things that he did and how he approached things with drills and stuff like that. So when I actually got to do it, I, I coached with Mr. Horton 
uh, uh, the last couple of years in the 90s, um, coached with him for our trip to the CIF finals and then lost the next year in the semis and lost the next year in the quarters. And, but, I, you know, doing it has always held us because I like baseball better than everything else because it's so difficult. It's so hard to be good at it, to be good at anything in baseball. And so I like the challenge of it. And um, it was always a thought in my mind. It was always my favorite sport. And when I finally got to do it, I just felt it was more of an honor, more of just a privilege that God would allow me to do this. It was something I always wanted to do, but would have never asked to do it. Mm -hmm. um, but because other people asked and, and said, we want you to do this, I said yes, and that and it was uh, it was awesome. It was it was really a privilege to do that. You had some really good players over those years. That '99 team that you guys went to the finals. Uh, you know, uh, Jason Ramos, Jacob Blake, I believe uh, Steve Allman, Arthur Taskison. Those guys were juniors. Uh, yeah. Kyle Corral, Perry Hampton, Sergio Villalobos, two amazing right. pitchers. I mean. When you guys went on that run, I was in eighth grade and thinking, this is the coolest thing ever, man. Rio is, Rio is a baseball power now. And uh, unfortunately, the road ended. Uh, those Grace Brethren guys, man, I hate them. They be, they, well, they they be, I because, you know, Jacob, the right before it, he pulled his hamstring. Hamstr oh, that's right. Hamstring. And, and he was, Jacob was so good in all sports. Mm -hmm. um, one of the probably the single best athlete we've had across mm -hmm. all sports. Um, we've had some really great guy, guys that can play three sports, but Jacob was just special. And he, he was so uh, integral to everybody's psyche, including mine as mm -hmm. coach that, you know, you just, when, when you see that you're, best guy and your most important guy he wasn't a pitcher or so that he wasn't the most critical you know uh, uh uh but he was our best guy because of his input because of his just presence i knew we were up against it once, yeah. <laughs> once that happened because it it was it was deflating to me too and we were trying i'm both mr horton and i were working hard to let everybody know that it didn't matter. It doesn't matter. God can do anything, you know, David and Goliath, we don't care and all that. But I, to be honest with you, I was, when I found that out, I just go, ah, because of his, his, just the effect that his being able to play has on the other eight guys that he's playing with. Yeah. He, he was awesome that way. He was, he was so good. Yeah. Lead off guy. So he literally started you guys and everything. And then, yep. uh, yeah, the pitcher, I mean, it was a good close game five, one, uh, four, I think it was, or something like that, but, right. uh, it was, you know, it was a close game and we were there and some things we, you know, we could have won. And, uh, always to this day, I think if Jacob was playing, we would have won. I, I agree with that. I, I agree. In saying that. Yeah. Oh man. Then they got you the next year. They got us in football. I just, they wear yeah. the same colors as us, but I do not like that school at all. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Semi-final. They got you the next year. That was tough. And then um, I was a sophomore. I wasn't on the team, but a bunch of my classmates were. they played in that famous 
game at Avalon, which uh, I think <laughs> I think Rio went up like seven nothing, and then that that uh, you never want to. That's the thing. You never want to blame, you know, deficiencies or losses or whatever on elements and things you can't control. Uh, but that day, you know, that field is just tough, tough pill to swallow. I mean, that was a tough one, losing to Avalon. I, to this day, will have flashbacks of Kyle Corral rounding third base because oh. he's fast. Yes. Rounding third base. And because the fence was so close to the field, mm-hmm. he ran into the fence and got caught on – his pants, I think, got caught on the bottom of the fence. And instead of scoring a run, he had to crawl back to the base. Mm-hmm. And then he ended up not scoring. And he would have scored. I mean, there wouldn't even have been a play because he was, you know, he just rounded the base wide and they have a fence there. And so I still have, I still think about that. Like I work with Kyle. He's part of the program that, I, that I'm mm-hmm. in charge of. He was like one of the coaches. And so whenever I see him, unfortunately, that's like one of the first thoughts that flashes through my mind <laughs> is, is that memory because it's, I can't shake the memory yeah. of that, you know, and that is just, yeah. That was a good team. We, uh, we got to take the boat, even us who weren't playing, we had to go over there and yeah. uh, man, I thought they're going to make, they're going to make the finals this year. They're going to do it. And uh, yeah, that one. That one was rough, losing to Avalon. And then my junior and senior year, these are the, these are the memories I have of you as a baseball coach, so that's kind of why I'm bringing it up. But we, we barely got in the playoffs. Somehow someone forgot something or got disqualified our junior year. We lost to Thatcher. Uh, I, I can't even – that one I can't believe. Uh, and then we lost in, in my senior year, the first round, to, to Camp Kilpatrick uh, out at Malibu High School. And, you know, right. th- these are just vivid memories I have. And – for a short time, you know, Rio baseball was kind of, I felt on the map and just going to do great things and just couldn't get over the hump. And, and, uh, but, but you did great things with the baseball program, Mr. Loomis. I do find it, I don't know, ironic, fitting, whatever you want to say that 20 years uh, to the year from that 99 team that went to the finals, that Rio finally got over the hump and won a baseball championship in 2019. So was that kind of like a, uh, Finally, and uh, very load off. Like <laughs> that was awesome. Watching that game gave me. I remember I was like a faculty guy who was in charge to, to make sure that they have faculty people at CIF games to make sure that that the crowd is controlled and whatnot. And I remember just sitting there. It's different when you're disconnected from the team. Except I had obviously I had taught all of those kids I see them every day so I know them and all that but to watch them play that game I had watched them play other games but that one in particular um, was just fantastic and it was a joy to watch you know guys that I coached uh, in baseball now coaching the team so there's a little connection there um, I still have hanging up on the wall above my desk because they gave me one of the CIF patches. So oh. I have the CIF baseball patches uh, up on my wall uh, just because it, it was, it's, it's what you want to get to. I remember the entire time I was coaching saying, you know, trying to get to the place because we are 
first and foremost, a football school because of our success that we've had in football. And I so wanted to at least be able to get us to get to the place in baseball. So it, it was, it was a joy to watch the kids play that game. And I loved it. And, um, uh, I was so excited for him, and it was just, yeah, it was very, very joyful to watch that game. I, I remember sitting in the bleachers doing some serious praying, you know. <laughs> you know, if you don't, if, if, you know, when you're not coaching the team, you're a little removed, you can do stuff like that. And I'm going, man, we, this, this really needs to happen. And there were some amazing things that happened in that game that, that, uh, that caused us to win it. And even in the game before that one, uh, where we put, had a home game, uh, <laughs> they they should have lost that game. The other team was just so much better than us, but uh, we we stuck it out and beat them. So that yeah, that was that that is good because I do want us to, to to continue. Unfortunately, these poor guys didn't get to play baseball last yeah. year at all, and you know I. <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen this year, but I know there's plans, but hopefully they'll come to fruition and they can play because we got some guys who really like baseball, you know? Yeah. And, you know, even though there's no baseball in 2020, I feel, Hey, Rio's got a title to defend in, uh, in baseball coming (laughs) up uh, just because you guys skipped a year. So uh, I I think uh, hopefully they'll, they'll get to it and get a shot at it. And, and I do think you said something right there that, you know, Rio, I think if you could sum up Rio sports, it's, Rio takes pride in beating people that are quote, quote, better than them. I mean, no matter the sport, I mean, you got some great athletes and everything, but just summing up kind of Rio sports, that's the way I've always looked at it. There's no one we can't play against. We're up for the challenge and we want to beat people that are better than us. That is exactly right. Uh, and that I, I remember, yeah, all those years in, in coaching baseball, like every year I coached, you know, Polly had a D1 pitcher that was going somewhere <laughs> to pitch for some college in D1, you know, and, and it's like every year. And we're always the the guys who don't have that. And and that is something that is very, uh, when you think of a school uh, that is as successful as we are, that's one of the reasons because we're motivated like that and we don't care who we play. We can, we actually believe that no matter what we can do it yeah. that comes from faith and all of that but yeah that's that's one of the good things about our uh, athletic program here oh man amen to that and uh, i i know we've taken a lot of your time so i'll try to be brief here with these last two but i wrote them down i wanted to you know you, you've always been someone outside of sports who's very educational for uh for real hondo prep students as far as like uh performance art plays and uh you've been the director on multiple plays and uh uh you've really taken things to the next level i think and and you kind of bring that coaching mentality to the director's chair uh we've all heard mr loomis's wrath when something goes wrong or not according to plan so do you take the the coaching hat to the direct director's chair for things like that a little (laughs) Uh, this is again i i have um my mentality has changed. I, I do a lot of my directing now in our productions, you know, which are prominently with girls as well. Um, a lot of girls are involved and I 
react to girls completely differently than I do to boys because I was a boy. So, um, but with them, I look at my task is more to give them the confidence that they need to perform and let them know that they can do it. And that's a part of sports as well, but it, it, it has been an absolute joy of mine to be able to be involved in our drama productions that are now just a regular part of the school year where we set aside two or three nights to perform a, a show and we get our kids and we practice for months and you get to do it once. I mean, if you think about if you pr practice for three months and got to play one football game or you got to play three football games total, you, it seems out of whack, but that's what drama is. That's what mm -hmm. doing plays is. And it started for me back when I was uh, a kid and was asked to act at our school play when I was in seventh grade. We had a play at the San Gabriel Mission Playhouse. And I remember trying out for a part and it started there. And then we started doing them on summer trips. On my first few summer trips, all we did was play, play baseball against other towns around the, the country. And then we started, we stopped playing baseball and we started doing performances. And I was in those for whatever reason, they put me in those things and I had to sing and dance and stuff that I'm not good at at all. Um, and that's where it started for me. And then when I, when I started teaching with Mr. Lunny that we talked about earlier, uh, you know, he was always the music guy. And so when he was teaching one seventh grade class and I was teaching the other, he, we just said, he just said to me one day, he goes, we need to take these kids to some plays and stuff. Yeah. And so that started what now is, and still continues to this day, the seventh graders go to various performances at different theaters around the area um, to see shows. And the, 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 seventh grade teacher usually asked me to come in and talk to the class a little bit about behind the scenes, you know, type stuff, because that's kind of what I'm involved in and explain how things work in theater and all those things. So I come in and do that uh, sometimes, but it still continues to this day. And, um, but yeah, my, I, I, I don't think I have ever uh, raised my voice at any of the kids that I have directed it, unless I had to raise it in order to be heard because there was music in the background or something like that. I have, this is the kinder and gentler Mr. Loomis that none of you who are watching this probably recognize. <laughs> Summer trips, a little different story. I, 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 your voice could carry within a campground uh, quite well, if I <laughs> yes. remember correctly. Everyone yes. get over here. <laughs> oh, last thing I promise. I know we've gone a long time. Uh, I thank you so much for seventh grade. Uh, me and my first teacher, uh, you coach football, basketball, uh, baseball uh, you just talked about the play and uh, you know directing and this and that drama department will say but I think one thing that sticks out to me that I remember when you were in high school working with high school young men uh, I don't know how else to say this except that you gave us a little training as far as like dating for dummies really and just some basic principles guys these are things that you need to learn and know later on in life uh, you know Little things, opening the door, uh, getting a reservation, just just little things that I remember Coach Loomis taught us when we were in high school. And I don't know if you still did or, or uh, over the years, but I remember that vividly. So thank you for those lessons as well. 
hey, you're welcome. And, you know, I, hey, I grew up as a single, you know, I, I really didn't have a dad. So I never got the, you know, how things are supposed to work, which is why when I was in high school, I wanted to try to help you guys out and give you a little head start. You know, I got married when I was 35. So like, shoot, I mean, that's like unheard of, right? You know, <laughs> you know a long time to get, you know. <laughs> but hey, it's all part of the education. You have to be well-rounded. You got to know more than you more than one thing it's all part of the education absolutely absolutely oh man i remember those talks fellas listen up yeah. <laughs> anyway well mr loomis thank you so much for everything and i know we went a little long had some you know issues early with the, uh, the audio but thank you for sticking with me i know you're a busy man and thank you for so many memories really this was a lot of fun catching up uh looking forward to posting this for everybody all right thank you too matt and hello everybody out there who sees me <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much greg loomis for coming on the program it was a rather long interview but i think we could have talked another hour if we wanted to so thank you so much for sharing so many memories and i just appreciate all the leadership and words of wisdom uh, you gave to me over the years i know so many other young men uh, have had a just been tremendously influenced by you over the years and you have such an impact on so many young men just thank you from the bottom of our hearts for uh, just being a leader and showing us how to be a man of god and uh, how to you know do a few things athletically as well whether it be football basketball baseball uh, just thank you uh, for all all your hard work and uh, just all your all your wisdom over the years. Well, that will wrap up today's episode, guys. Tomorrow on the program, we are going to be joined by Monica Pajorquez. Monica was one of the best athletes Rio Hondo Prep has ever had uh, on the female side of things. <laughs> one of the uh, stars, if you will. She's a two-time. Uh, volleyball champion uh, for Rio Hondo Prep, the very first two volleyball championships in school history. Monica played varsity uh, in all three sports at Rio Hondo from her freshman year on. So she's going to talk about what that was like, kind of being in on the varsity in all these sports, uh, stepping in, kind of the interaction with seniors and everything when when you're a freshman in high school uh her twin brother maynard bajorquez was on this program pretty early on when we started doing interviews uh he was a west point graduate and had some great things to say about his family and i had the opportunity to play some football and baseball with maynard while at rio hondo prep uh he played for mr greg loomis as well for a lot of years and uh you know the bajorquez family very special people uh, very humble pe people and just uh, just great friends of mine over the years, uh, Maynard and Monica. But tomorrow you guys will hear from Monica Bajorquez and kind of her experiences in Cary Youth League and Rio Hondo Prep. But also she's going to talk about what she's currently up to these days. She is an ER trauma nurse. So she sees a lot of different things. She's out at Loma Linda, which is out in the Redlands, San Bernardino area out here in Southern California. She sees all kinds of things. Uh, she talks about the challenges and kind of what it's like that, that, that really that uh, adrenaline she, she goes through every day when she goes to work. So she'll talk to us about how she got there, her kind of route to, uh, you know, becoming a, a, a nurse in the ER and the trauma, <laughs> trauma nurse, if you will. Uh, she'll tell us all about that tomorrow. So be sure to join us. I think, uh, those of you who are Rio Hondo prep alum, you'll appreciate it just hearing 
uh, from the girl side of things, the girls sports, and and also uh, just what Monica's been up to in uh in, in her career because uh, our thoughts and prayers are really with so many medical personnel these days uh, with everything they've had to go through the past few months so uh it's going to be a fun interview and i hope you will join us tomorrow for our interview with monica bajorquez we will also have our suds with studs segment that we've been doing on fridays in between our intro and our interview so be sure to join us there where we talk about somebody that uh, we, we, we view as a hero, somebody that we want you guys to kind of look up some information on it to see their story. Generally, people in law enforcement or military, uh, that's generally who we talk about for uh, 10 minutes or so uh, on our Friday Suds with Studs segment. So a lot to look forward to tomorrow. I hope you will join us then. Guys, there's plenty of ways to follow the Get Home Safe podcast. Our Twitter handle is Get Home Safe Pod. Our Facebook and Instagram page is Get Home Safe Podcast. And our email address is Get Home Safe Podcast at yahoo.com. We appreciate any guests, or actually, I did it again. Yes, any listeners who send in questions or content suggestions, uh, anything of that nature. We always love getting from our listeners and our fans. Uh, yesterday with Bill Barnes, we actually opened a care package from Kevin Scarpio, a uh, participation trophy, a couple of first place ribbons and some juice boxes. Uh, for those who don't listen to Bill Barnes on Wednesdays, you may not understand all that, but uh, thank you so much, Kevin's for thinking of us and sending in, uh, sending, sending us in that those, uh, those trophies and participation awards, if you will. Uh, very funny stuff. Uh, but yeah, guys, you don't have to send us a care package, but we do love your questions and some of your um, content topics, anything. So email us, uh, send us a voice message. If voice message, if you go to the anchor or excuse me, the episode notes at the bottom of the uh, episode description, you'll see some links there. One is for a voice message you can send in to have your voice heard on the podcast. It's a one minute limit. So have the information, everything you want to say ready to go. And uh, you'll see a clock as soon as you start recording, but it is a one minute limit. There's also some additional links in there for some information about the podcast. Should you choose to check that out well guys it's been a fun one thanks again greg lewis loomis that was so much fun monica bohorquez tomorrow on friday i hope you will join us but guys no matter what you're doing whether you're out on the town or around in third base get home safe